Welcome to season six of the Reach Next Generation podcast. I'm Grace Jeffries and I'm thinking about my future. To help me with this, I'm speaking with successful women to get an understanding of the challenges they faced throughout their careers, how they overcame them and what tips they for girls of my age. Today, my guest is Arfa Farouk, who is the founder of Muslimic Makers. Muslimic Makers is a community of Muslim change makers who upskill and pioneer in the world of tech. Thanks for joining me today, Arthur. Can we start by you telling us all how your career took you to the role you have today? Yeah, sure. Um, Where to begin, I guess. Uh, How far do you want me to go? Do you want me to start from my school days or do you want me to start from like the day, you know, professional work from like post-uni? Start your career post-uni, I'd say. Okay, cool. Let's start post-uni. Yeah, so... um, yeah, I, I graduated in uh, 2012, um, so what was it, the year of the Olympics. Um, also, that year was actually when it where youth unemployment was also actually at its most high um, back then. <laughs> I feel like everything come, everything's coming around again and again. Um, and uh, I was actually a, well, I was young then, I was a young person as part of a, a youth programme uh, run by this youth charity back then called Spark and Metal. And um, as I'm from a working class background, I didn't really have many connections um, in terms of careers and professional careers uh, and that kind of thing. Um, so as part of the youth program, I was mentored and coached and kind of given access to different connections. And um, my my mentor back then said to me how like I'm really good at like making connections and oh have I thought about a career in social media so she was the first one who kind of pointed out to me and social media as you can imagine back then was just taking off so that kind of landed like you know I ended up getting my first internship um while I was doing that um we were also thinking about how can we turn this youth program I was on which was all delivered funny enough actually through like google meets at that time so you're thinking 2012 10 years ago we were already doing this stuff online we like we were quite forward thinking in that way um we um ended up like uh putting in a pitch somewhere got some money ended up actually starting my own startup um mm-hmm. accidentally with with the uh with my um with the lady from who runs the charity Eugenie and um that was I would say was my first foray into kind of the world of startups and tech it led me to being in a tech incubator so for those that don't know tech incubators are places which help businesses um so I was there for like nine months we didn't we didn't know what we were doing very unexperienced um so it didn't you know the business didn't really work out um but it was all about actually helping young people develop soft skills um so we, we developed this whole platform when that didn't work out I kind of um w- went and worked for a coding boot camp um called Makers Academy so I had a, a marketing role there. Makers um, were very new. They were like only one year old. So it was like, again, a startup um, that gave me a lot of good kind of skills, um, built my skill set. Um, I was there for about two years and a half. Um, and I guess while I was there, I started to kind of think about like the diversity problem in tech. Um, I come from a Muslim Pakistani um, background and we were doing a lot of stuff about getting more women into tech. Um, but I was conscious that we weren't doing enough for like other minorities um so that got me really interested and meanwhile on twitter somebody approached me another muslim guy saying oh have you thought you work in tech i work in tech what if you created a community for muslims in tech and that Mm -hmm. kind of was the beginning of the muslimic makers journey which in a sense to be honest up even right now is 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 basically a side project and um after makers i got this um 
you know, fellowship opportunity to research Muslim women in tech. That took me to America, Pakistan, the UAE. So I spent in total three months, so in six weeks chunks, um, interviewing, funny enough, just like you are, um, different Muslim women just to try and um, understand their stories, how they broke into tech. I created like YouTube videos and content off the back of that. Came back, did some random, I've, I've told you I have a very potted history, <laughs> did some random consultancy. Um, and then I got a job uh, in the civil service, um, so working in government. Um, and that was actually my first proper role as a community builder. So um, what was really interesting about that is I would al- I was always doing community stuff anyways, but I never really had a paid role in it. So this time round, I was working with digital professionals, product managers, delivery managers, um, helping to build capability, learning development within government. Had a few, I've had a few different roles in government. Um, I recently helped to launch this um, fellowship program with Number Ten, which was about getting senior talent into government, like from like different tech sectors, and also kind of led the AI artificial intelligence labs community in NHS. Um, and yeah, this year I'm basically on maternity leave, um, so, we, so I'm due to go back into work. But while on maternity leave, I've obviously been busy working on Islamic makers, trying to kind of figure that out, trying to keep that going. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of uh, the short version, <laughs> as short as it can be. Wow, you've had a very varied career, I must say. But I have to ask, all of these different roles, you must have had maybe, say, maybe one or two key passions. When you were at school, did you have, uh, say, something that you were definitely interested did you yeah. perhaps know what you wanted to do or be or did that happen maybe later in life? Yeah, so it's really interesting that you, you, you asked me that question. So obviously when I was in school, I was like, oh, I want to be an interior designer. Oh, I want to go into media. You know, it changed all the time. But now, you know, now looking back, I realise like, as a community builder, I was already doing that in school. I was the person who was school counsellor, yearbook lead. Like that was me. I was already doing those kind of things, you know, in school. So what's really funny is now that I look back on kind of how I was in school, I realise that back then, though, that community building wasn't a career right it didn't exist and I think that's one thing especially for anyone that's listening to this podcast etc that the jobs of the future don't exist yet so it's more what's more important is how you adapt your skills so I I think it's really hard to be like oh this is what I'm going to do because actually you know five years from now that job might not exist or there might be something else um so I think that that definitely now in hindsight when I look back I realize I already had the the skill set. I just didn't know how to make money from it, you know. Yeah, I guess it's weird to see the role that you're having today, even if it's the same thing that you were doing perhaps 10 years ago, how it's really changed. Yeah, that's correct. Now, I do know that you went to Goldsmiths University, but how important do you think it is to go to university, um, especially with internships? and different schemes that lots of different companies are offering yeah so I'm of the opinion that university only makes sense um if you're going for vocational things like medicine um or specific things um I studied media and communication would I have you know back then also my university fees were much cheaper than what what, what we currently have um would I do it now if it at the same price probably not but only because I think there are much more options now things like apprenticeships internships I when I speak to young people I encourage them so much more now to go down the apprenticeship and internship especially with apprenticeships 
you know, some of the, what was it, level four, where you could actually get a university degree alongside it and get paid. Like, mm. so by the time, say, your peers are graduating from university, they'll be graduating in minus numbers. But if you did an apprenticeship, you'd be, you'd have money in your bank, you know, because you've been earning over those last three years rather than actually. So I, I, I'm a massive, massive advocate for apprenticeships, um, internships, uh, real life work experience, depending obviously on what you want to break into. And I think tech definitely is one of those kind of avenues where, um, it's probably better to look at other options than actually go, go down the university route. But that's strange that you say that. I always thought that tech and, say, computer science to some levels would have to be um, university, like, studied there. But I'm glad that there's definitely lots more options um, in the present that you can still do tech. Yeah, so computer science is a very interesting subject. Um, so tech obviously moves very quickly. Things change. Um, now, university is obviously an institution which has a lot of bureaucracy. Um, so it's very hard for the curriculum to stay up to date with what's yeah. relevant. So what I found, especially working in the coding boot camp, is we used to get we used to even sometimes get computer graduate students come and do our courses because they wanted to actually, you know, um, find out what the current trends are and then wanted to upskill and and kind of realize um so that's something that i've actually experienced with um you know the people that have done those kind of career paths is it's actually not served them um in the real world of work definitely now the world is changing so much and also quite quickly um what do you think that work for women may look like say in 10 years time or what do you hope it may look like oh uh so i think so I think it's a, I think we it's really interesting. Obviously, we're having this conversation in a kind of a post COVID world. And I think um, COVID obviously really kind of changed things up and challenged a lot of organizations. So um, as I mentioned, I'm looking to I'm, I'll be going back to work soon. Um, you know, I've just I have I have a baby who's turning one in December. So I've been thinking a lot about like what that means um, for me now. And as I was catching up with some old colleagues who had babies before COVID, they were telling me how hard it was for them because, you know, doing the nursery runs, having to go into the office in London, this and that. And I realised, wow, I'm really lucky because actually I will most likely will be still working from home. Maybe I will go into the office once a week, which actually, to be honest, I'd quite like to do. And just because I feel like I've missed my my London life over the pandemic and uh, having a baby. Um, But I've realised I feel like people are much more understanding now. So what could the world look like 10 years from now is I hope this progress that we've we've had over the pandemic doesn't is stays you know the fact that people are much more understanding especially your parents um or people with caring duties um etc and the fact that work can be delivered from anywhere and that we should be more focused on deliverables rather than oh we work x amount of hours a week etc it doesn't matter how the work is done I mean, you know, and I think I, I, it's definitely helped me as well, even with Mozambic makers. You know, I work with a bunch of freelancers um, and, you know, apart from, say, one or two set meetings we have a week, I don't care how they do the work, what time they do the work, as long as it gets done. Right. So I'm, you know, there's no expectation from me that, oh, they've got to be online at 9 a.m. or whatever it is. It's, for me, I just care about 
right, when we have our meeting next week, what 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 have you done over the last week? And that's all I care about, you know. And I really kind of hope, especially going forward, um, that we can kind of focus more on that kind of inclusivity and flexibility. I think flexibility is the most important thing. Um, and that's my apprehensiveness, if I'm honest with you, about going back to work is, um, you know, wheels and assignment makers being my own thing. I work how I want, when I want, when my child's asleep or not asleep, um, you know, and uh, but obviously I'll be going back to a, a job which most mainly, mainly is nine to five. And um, so there will be an expectation of me being available for set, you know, within certain hours. And that for me, obviously I'm naturally a bit apprehensive about, but the government generally speaking, civil service jobs tend to be quite flexible. So I think it'll be totally fine. Yeah. Now, earlier you mentioned that you had a mentor in the start of your career. And I know that mentors or say people that you look up to can be a good tool. Other than that person in the start of your career, have you had any other mentors throughout the various jobs that you've had or any other people that you admired or looked up to? Yeah, so I think there've been lots of different people um, that I've met along the journey at, at different points in time. But I think the one that I mentioned at the start, which I'm happy to elaborate on, I think is probably like the Um, which uh, were more um, relevant role models for me because they came from the same background. Um, so I think that definitely helped in terms of raising my aspirations. And I think that's why I do a lot of the work I do because, you know, I, I didn't have that when I was starting out. So now that, you know, people that come from, say, a Muslim, Pakistani, work class background, if they can see me and what I'm doing, then hopefully that will help raise their aspirations. Hopefully. Well, as part of our Reach Next Generation Summit, we look at diversity opportunity for young girls from the black and minority communities. And do you think that we are seeing, say, a more open conversation about racial equality since the Black Lives Matter conversation started? Yeah, I, I, I do think um, we are definitely having um, more open conversation about that. Um, however, where I do think find it can still be a challenge um is sometimes brands companies it can often be lip service um this is something i've uh personally experienced um sometimes even with diversity inclusive events where they're not actually inclusive in the sense where they don't haven't arranged a prayer room for example and it's something i have to bring up and it kind of makes me realize why are people not thinking about the, you know we're in 2022 like why why are we having dni diversity inclusion events and not thinking about things right unless somebody requests it like the fact that somebody has to request it isn't good enough especially if you're you know calling yourself a diversity inclusive event um so um I think I think I still feel like, unfortunately, we do have a long way to go. And D&I and, you know, those kind of things are often seen as a trendy trend. And sometimes, you know, people don't actually care, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's um, some more progress in the months and years to come. Yeah. Now, the theme of our summit is I can do it. Is there anything that you thought that perhaps you couldn't do that you say have managed to do? Oh, uh, so I think for me, um, it's the biggest gift I have right now is my network. So um, I always tell this story about. Um, so I, I have a younger sister. I think we have a we have what an eleven, twelve year uh, age gap. Um, uh, and 
so you know quite different in that sense and I remember when she um was looking for her work experience when she was in year 10 and she was like Api which in order to sister Api oh can you help me find like work experience and it took me a matter of posting it in the Masonic Makers Slack, posting it on my LinkedIn or something, and then having just one of my contacts be like, oh, yeah, she can come work at my thing. And, you know, the fact that I was able to do that, I was a never I never had access to that. Yeah. So for me, that for me is like that. That for me was like a massive moment where I realized, wow, like I have a network that can really, you know, get people opportunities because when I was that age, I didn't have that. And, you know, I had to go through the normal school process, which meant that my work experience was in a nursery, which is fine, you know. But, you know, compared to the work experience my sister had in a cloud computing tech company, you know, it's a, it's very different, right? Um, so I think for me, that's probably the biggest thing that I never thought I would have this network that I have now. And um, the things that you didn't have and the things that you maybe didn't think that you'd achieve um is there anything else that you say want to achieve either personally or professionally oh oh god there's still so much um so um what's interesting is so you know I've, I've obviously gone over my career history and stuff but the one thing that I, had, I don't have under my career belt is I haven't gone and worked for like a big tech company like a Google or a Facebook or Amazon or any of those companies. I really want to do that. However, I have a very young baby right now. So she's my priority um, and not having a very, you know, crazy job that takes over my life. Um, so I'm at a point in my life where I have to slow down a bit um, and being somebody that's quite ambitious and that can be sometimes hard and a bit of a challenge um, um, but you know that's the season in my life as I'm calling it right now um, and you know my time will come for like to do the things that I haven't been able to still do. Of course. Now thinking about Reach No Generation where girls are encouraged to think about their futures and perhaps what they want to pursue. What tips would you give girls when they start to think about what they want to do or perhaps even who they want to be? Oh, what tips would I give? Um, so I think my biggest one is just like, honestly, one, think about actually like, what do you currently enjoy doing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I mentioned, there was stuff I was doing in school and I had no idea, right, that this could turn into something. So really kind of think about what are the, what is the stuff that you enjoy doing? Um, Two, try to find relevant role models. And by relevant role models, I mean people that look like you. I think that's very important. And um, because that will definitely help um, in terms of raising their aspirations and making them think they can achieve anything. Definitely. So the world seems a little bit hectic at the moment. I'm not even going to lie. And mm. this is a new question for all of our guests this series. And that is, if you could perhaps change one thing in the world right now, what do you think it would be? Oh, gosh, I don't even know where to start, right? What mm. could I change um, in the world? Um, I mean, we, I mean, equality, I think, is one of... I, so one of my favourite quotes is, um, talent is everywhere, but opportunity is not. And um, I think, yeah, I would love everyone to have the same amount of opportunities um, to, you know, uh, better their lives. Definitely. 
Well, I've really enjoyed chatting with you today, Arthur. Thank you so, so much. And I'm sure everyone listening will now be thinking about some of the choices they're about to make, perhaps in their own careers or or their own futures. Keep listening to the Reach Next Generation podcasts as I talk to many more brilliant women. More details about us are at www.reachnextgeneration.com. Thank you to our fantastic sponsors, Ideal Standard, Barclays, Levi Strauss, Aviva, Green King and Gerald Wen. And a special thank you to Chris Rayer of AES Seal for his generous support too.